I'm Mark Ficciani. Welcome to Forge Your Path. To see the type of impact he's been able to have on the lives of his athletes is really inspiring. Good morning, everybody. Welcome back to the Forge Your Path podcast. So today's episode is going to be, I would say, a little different than most because it calls for a, a bit of a, a different story, a bit of a different recollection than most. And I think for anybody that was around on this particular day, they'll understand why. Um, on this particular Tuesday, back in September, beautiful, beautiful fall day. And I was working at Dreyfus as a financial advisor. And I remember back in the dog days of summer in July and August, by the time I would get off the bus and do the crosstown walk over to the building at MetLife, my shirt was completely soaked. I would often bring a second shirt because I was completely soaked through humidity of New York City in a full suit. And uh, this, sap- this September day was not like that at all. Crisp, beautiful weather. I got my egg and cheese sandwich from the bodega downstairs, just feeling great, and get up into the office. And there's probably about 16 of us in a bullpen. And on a typical Tuesday morning before the market opens, everybody's buzzing. We're talking to one another. And um, everybody's in a good mood. And I get a phone call from my buddy, and we're shooting the breeze, as we often did early before the markets got going. And... Uh, you know, most of us are just kind of getting prepared for the day. We got a couple minutes before we really get rocking and rolling. My mentor is already pounding the phones just because he was an animal. He was always that first guy to get after it. Uh, early bird getting the worm. And so I'm talking to my buddy and and um, and all of a sudden, you know, he says, hey, did you just see, you know, what, what happened? Because we got TVs in the office and there's a ticker showing the stocks. And, uh, you know, we're all looking around and we see the, a plane had flown into the World Trade Center. And as I'm talking to him, I said, yeah, what, what a horrible accident. And he says, you know, you don't think somebody did that on purpose, did you? And I remember being so angry at him and said, like, how could you say that? You know, I mean, come on. I mean, what, what a depressing way to go through life to have that instinct. And, you know, my buddy was always a bit street smarter than me, always has been. And uh, so we're talking and a couple minutes later, now we're all kind of watching as they're, and when I'm still on the phone and a second plane flies into the tower. And so immediately I know he's right. And I think everybody in the office knows he's right. I hang up the phone and we're all talking and we're just standing around in complete shock of what's happening. And everyone's tuning in, and uh, with the exception of my mentor, who's still pounding the phones, just completely oblivious to everything else in the world. And a few minutes go by, we're all talking, trying to make sense of what's happening. And then we get an announcement saying that the building is going to be evacuated. And our evacuation procedure was to go out of MetLife and walk a couple avenues over to meet up in Bryant Park. So we file out of the building like zombies and we're walking across. And I remember 
it's a couple avenues over, looking down Fifth Avenue, because it was a straight shot, and just seeing the smoke from about 40 blocks away. Because obviously, this is a significant event. And the amount of smoke was just unbelievable. We get to Bryan Park, we have a brief meeting, and we get informed that we're being dismissed for the day. So the thought is, now what? Well, I didn't really have much of a thought running through my head other than it's time to get out of New York City as fast as I can. So I hop on a bus and I'm heading west because the quickest way for me to do that is to get to the ferry. And on the bus, all kinds of rumors are circulating. You know, one woman says, you know, I heard they're flying seven planes uh, that they have control of, these terrorists. And another guy says, yeah, and I know Times Square is a top target. And of course, as he's recounting this, we're sitting right in Times Square. And this bus couldn't be moving slower. I mean, my 87-year-old grandmother could be walking faster than this bus. So after about 10 minutes, moving maybe one avenue or two, I decided to get out at 9th Avenue and just make my way on foot. So just like everyone else, the city's in chaos, everyone's moving fast, and I get my way over to the ferry over on the west side there on 42nd and 12th. And there are probably a couple thousand people there uh, milling around, and I just get online to get on a ferry. And somehow within, I don't know, a half hour, 40 minutes, I got a ticket and I'm aboard. And I'll never forget that view, which it was always one of my favorite things every morning, you know, in the quiet of, of the morning, among all the hustle and bustle, it's this interesting balance when you live that city life. And you know, I lived in Hoboken and had been commuting to the city. And I just love taking that New York waterway because there was nothing more magnificent than seeing that New York City skyline on the way and on the way home. So I'll never forget looking as I look downtown towards the World Trade Center, just seeing everything engulfed in, in smoke. And you could still see the faint outlines of the buildings, but then there was that moment where you heard the incredible rumble. And then what was hazy then became a complete and utter blackout of a cloud because the first tower had gone down. And just the gasps and shock on that ferry were unbelievable. So the 10 minute ferry rides over, I step off the ferry and like everyone else, just trying to make my way and make sense of what to do. Cause now I'm in Weehawken, which is maybe two miles from Hoboken. And I step off the ferry and I'm looking about, and this is just one of those moments where even on the worst days, I had that instinct when after I saw something, you know that simply depending on your background, depending on your faith and how you see the world, for me, it's that moment that God exists. As I look straight ahead, and prior to that, I've been trying to make phone calls to my family 
phone calls to my best friend. And sure enough, all those phone calls, every single moment was, please try again later. All circuits are busy. I, everybody was with their flip phones doing the same thing because I made that call 10 times, 20 times, 50 times, trying to let people know that I was okay. And I wanted to find out if other people were okay. So I look straight ahead and who's there about 15 feet away from me. It's my best friend. He's standing right there. And we lock eyes with one another and we just smile and shrug of the millions of people in New York City and the millions of people evacuating New York. At that moment, my best friend and I find each other. And if that's not fate, if that's not divine intervention, I don't know what is. So we decided to make our way to Hoboken. We basically did a jog in our suits because our instinct was to get away from this as soon as possible. We got into Hoboken, hopped in my car and did probably what was the instinct of what many people did. Uh, we went back to our childhood homes. I dropped him off in Milburn. I drove to Madison and we waited and found out what happened next. And as the news continued to grow that day, the gravity of what had happened had sunk in that the United States had been attacked and a terrorist organization named Al Qaeda had purposefully hijacked planes with the intent to do harm on the United States of America, crashing two into the towers. And the more and more you learned, the more it sunk in. And that moment, that day, completely altered the sense of safety, sense of security, and really the sense of, of our freedom in, in a somewhat permanent way for those who were alive at that time, and certainly those who were close to New York City or in New York City. So as the days went on, you heard more and more stories, more and more tragedy, more and more gravity of the new world we were living in. And with the next month, in the following months, there, there was more bad news. There was now that fear of what would Al-Qaeda do next. I remember there were different threats. There was mailing of anthrax. So bioterrorism was suddenly a concern. There were concerns about dirty bombs, people that would be able to take small devices, maybe the size of a suitcase, a nuclear device, and detonate it in the city or other cities and surrounding areas that would permanently alter our landscape. So all these new threats were now part of our new normal. But what was interesting was at the same time, at the same time of all this tragedy, of all this change in perspective, there was this other thing that was happening too. And I distinctly remember the good moments, the moment that baseball came back to New York City. Something that was just so commonplace that I had taken for granted suddenly became this magical, beautiful thing. And I'm not a Mets fan, but I remember Mike Piazza homering to help them win a game in the first game back. I remember just the cheers and watching the Yankee game of the FDNY guys and the, and the NYPD guys, the firefighters, the police officers, the Port Authority police officers, 
all those service men and women who helped as much as they could in the bravery of that day to take small and big actions to try to help others. And there was such a collective sense of patriotism and such a collective sense of resilience that we, as a city, we as individuals, were going to build and we were going to come back and we were going to move forward through this painful time together. And I know personally, as a Yankee fan, maybe it's a romantic in me, that playoff run that took the Yankees to the World Series was such a symbolic and meaningful moment because as New York City was coming back, so were the Yankees. And in this incredible seven-game series with the Diamondbacks in 2001 that featured multiple late-inning comebacks, uh, I remember two nights in a row, Byung Hyung Kim was the closer for the Diamondbacks. We hit game-tying and game-winning home runs off of him, and it just felt like, wow. Here comes New York with the storybook ending, and for a city that needs a, a happy ending, man, what a great story. But then I also remember at the end of that week, the heartbreaking Game 7 loss, where the unshakable, invincible Mariano Rivera gave up a couple runs in the ninth inning, and we lost. And the storybook ending didn't happen. And it was that bittersweet reminder that, yes, there's fairy tales and storybooks, but real life doesn't always work out perfect. So as time went on, I do remember that as we built back and as we made sense of it all, I was left with one enduring trait from this time. And it was gratitude. It was the gratitude for those little things like baseball. It was the gratitude I had for my family and knowing I wanted to hug them just a little bit tighter because the future was just that little bit less uncertain. It was that gratitude of the good friends I had and deciding maybe on the nights I wouldn't have normally done to go, go hang out and have a beer and spend some time with other people. It was that gratitude for the moment and life's little risks and deciding once in a while, yes, I'm going to muster up my courage and go talk to that pretty girl down at the end of the bar rather than playing it safe. And a few months later, when I realized and I really thought about what is it I want to do with my life, something like a terrorist attack with global implications will make you think about that. So at the age of 27, I decided that my career needed to be about something more. And I made, I took the leap without any education experience to go all in and decide to become a teacher. And as it turned out, where I landed at Pingree and spent 15 years there, that turned out to be the best, not only career decision I ever made, but certainly in the top three decisions I made in my life where I found a passion and a calling as a teacher, I found an incredible community, and I found the best of myself. And I know that that came from that gratitude of that life that I rediscovered I had. It came from that gratitude of those moments. So when I think about September 11th, and I think on this day in particular, I'm grateful for so many things. I'm grateful for 
the brave men and women who did what they had to do on those days in little and big heroic acts to save others or just to help people to safety. I'm grateful for the people that did the tough work to rebuild the city brick by brick. The people that had to clean up the city piece by piece. I'm grateful for the resilience of the people who built their careers and try to make sense of going back into a city, even though there was that fear that something could happen next. And I'm grateful for those that had the resilience to do that and to push back towards normal and to move forward. And most importantly, I'm grateful for my life because this day is just a reminder that we don't have all the time in the world. We get one life to live and one chance to make an impact. And this day more than ever is that day that I get to embrace and appreciate that. I'm thankful for my luck that I was 40 blocks away as opposed to being one of the incredibly unfortunate souls who was in one of the two towers. So I move forward today with gratitude, with happiness, with the zest for life. And on this day, I'm thankful to live in the greatest country on the face of this earth. So God bless America. God bless you on this day. And I hope that this day and every day is just the biggest gift that you can embrace in your lives. Thank you for listening to me on this reflection. Have a fantastic day, and I'll see you again soon.